This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Maddie Safai here with Dan Charles, food and agriculture correspondent. Hey, Dan. Hey, Maddie. So, Dan, you've been following outbreaks of the coronavirus in meatpacking plants across the country. Yeah, these have been some of the biggest COVID-19 hotspots in the entire country. More than 10,000 workers in these plants have been infected. Dozens of them have died. And it really just started, you know, like mid to the end of March. Yeah, I mean, I specifically remember hearing about a plant in South Dakota, I think, and, and how dire things were there. Right. That was a Smithfield plant in Sioux Falls. It was one of the first plants where this really became visible and obvious to people. It's also a really big plant, one of the biggest pork processing plants in the country. And, you know, there was this moment at the end of March, the beginning of April, when the workers in this plant, they knew that some workers had gotten sick, but the company was not saying how many, and the workers just felt really vulnerable. They didn't have any protective gear. They didn't have any masks. They didn't have anything that could protect them from getting sick at work. This is Nancy Reynosa. Uh, Years ago, she worked at the plant. Now she runs a local news service in Sioux Falls for Spanish speakers. She was getting calls from people. She got a call from one friend in particular, she remembers. I have a friend of mine that told his boss that he was going to quit because he felt afraid for his family. And he said the words from his boss were that he was failing the American people by leaving. Failing the American people? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's outrageous. Yeah, Dan, that's a lot that's a lot to put on somebody. You know what I mean? Right. And and you have to remember that in the meatpacking industry, many of the workers are immigrants, uh, sometimes refugees. Uh, The jobs are tough, but they're pretty good jobs. I mean, they pay $16, $18 an hour, good health benefits. So there are reasons to Mm. keep working. Nancy told me about another one of her friends who worked at the plant, a man in his 60s, Augustine Rodriguez. She says he kept working after he got sick, uh, but eventually it was too much. He went to the hospital. He eventually died. Oh, my gosh, Dan. Okay, so so this was a couple of months ago when it was, you know, especially bad for the meatpacking industry. Since then, more and more plants have, you know, reopened again. So so what have the companies been doing now to keep their workers safe? They've been trying lots and lots of different things. But there's one thing in particular that I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. One key strategy which I think is relevant for other parts of the economy, too. Large-scale coronavirus testing. Okay, so today on the show, the massive coronavirus outbreaks in meatpacking plants and how large-scale employee testing could help and be a lesson for other industries. This is Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. 
That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from EarthX. The EarthX 2024 Environmental and Sustainability Congress of Conferences is happening in April and brings together all sides with one important mission. Protect the planet. Go to earthx.org to register. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Okay, so these outbreaks started becoming visible in early April in a whole bunch of plants. What protective measures did the companies start to implement at that point? They, well, they started with the things that people were talking about doing back then, which was things like temperature checks for workers before Mm. entering the plants, which we know now was not particularly effective because people with the virus don't always, you know, show symptoms. They started trying to implement a little more space in break rooms, locker rooms to make Mm -hmm. social distancing, you know, possible. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as the weeks went by, as the days went by, in a lot of these plants at the beginning of April, the numbers just were going up and up. The things that they were doing was not enough. And Mm -hmm. local communities, health officials, the workers themselves were putting pressure on these companies, protesting, saying, you've got to shut these plants down. Yeah. I mean, I remember some of them shutting down and some of the CEOs running those companies being like very public and very up in arms about it. Right. Um, the, the CEO of Smithfield said the, the nation has to make a choice. Are we going to produce meat or not? I mean, mm. Tyson, that company took out a full page ad and said things like the meat supply chain is breaking down. They and politicians who were supporting them sent a letter to the White House saying you have to declare meat plants essential infrastructure and mm. in fact in fact the white house did they issued an ex- executive order basically saying meat plants have to stay open but that doesn't solve the problem you know it doesn't solve right. the coronavirus problem and the companies realized they had to basically test a lot of their workers yeah i mean we've talked about how important this is on the show like how widespread testing has allowed other countries to reopen in certain places because you know, they have an actual idea of where the outbreaks are and where they aren't. What does widespread testing look like in, in this situation, Dan? Okay. One, one example, and this was the, actually the first one that I became aware of. Mm-hmm. There's a Tyson plant, a big one in Blackhawk County, Iowa. In mid-April, they also had lots and lots of workers showing up in clinics in the town with symptoms of COVID-19. They had mm-hmm. a local you know, public health director, Nafisa Cisse Ebonye, who was telling plant managers they had a big problem. I, I talked with her, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. We were communicating that there is a huge volume. There is an outbreak. Who first said, you've got to test absolutely everybody? Was it the company or did you say that? Oh, the, the local health department. We said that. I said it. You have to get a sense of what's going on in the plant. 
so, so first, they shut the plant down, shut it down completely, and they asked all the employees, 2,800 people, to come to the plant's parking lot, line up, and get tested. Oh, wow. So, like, all 2,800 workers. That's, like, that's a, you know, fairly large-scale testing effort, Dan. Yeah. And here's the thing. Close to 1,000 workers at that one plant ended up testing positive for the virus. Wow. Wow. And Tyson, the company, there were a couple of other plants where they did it in conjunction with the local public health authorities, but they have since hired a contractor to carry out these universal one-time tests of the workforce at a bunch of plants. So far, I think they've done about 20 facilities from Maine to Virginia and Texas. They have tested around 30,000 workers at this point, which is about a quarter of their of their workforce. Yeah, we all had to swab up the nose and it wasn't fun, I'll tell you that. This is Dennis Medburn. He's a union steward at the Tyson plant in Logansport, Indiana. At the time, I was not feeling sick. Not at the time of testing. And again, in his case, a few days later, while he was waiting for those test results, he lost his sense of smell, developed mm. constant headaches. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. So, and of course, his test came back positive, along with 900 other people at that plant. Wow. This has been the story at one plant after another. Most of the people who test positive seem healthy at the time. No symptoms of COVID-19. Wow. Okay. I mean, I, that's why testing is so important, right? Lots of these workers would probably have kept going to work. So, okay, Dan, what happens when a worker does test positive? So the CDC has these guidelines. If you develop symptoms, then a certain number of days after you are symptom-free, you are allowed to go back to work. If you never develop symptoms, you wait 10 days after you take the test, and then you can mm -hmm. go back to work. Scientists say by then, you probably are not going to infect anybody. And, and it seems like getting those infected workers to stay home, to not go to work, has helped. Back in Black Hawk County, Iowa, Nafisa Sise Ebonye told me a couple of weeks ago, new COVID cases at the plant are way down. Actually, today's our first day. We've had a zero, a zero increase in cases. Okay, so like that sounds like tentatively like good news. And like maybe this approach to large scale testing of the workforce could be working in some way. Yeah, at this point, it seems absolutely essential. But at the same time, just doing it once probably is not going to be enough. Right, exactly. Because I have to, if, you know, these workers could just pick up the virus the very next day and you could have another outbreak on your hands, hypothetically, right? Right. And one of the reasons I was interested in the experience of these plants with testing is there's a whole discussion going on in other parts of society about this exact right. same thing. You know, universities, other, other workplaces. Basically, how many people do you have to test and how often? Right. So this is not just a, a meatpacking story. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you have the union, the United Food and Commercial Workers, which represents a lot of these meatpacking workers. Mm -hmm. Mark Lauritsen is a top official there, and he is demanding a rapid coronavirus test for every single worker every single day. We really do have to get to some sort of daily testing mechanism for all the essential workers in this country. Because he says, you know, a lot of these workers are still afraid to go back to work. And sure. if there was daily testing, they, you know, life would be just much less stressful. They look around the plant, they look around their locker room or their break room. They know that everybody else inside these walls is COVID free. I mean, Dan, that sounds amazing. But I mean, do you think it's actually feasible, like testing every worker every day? 
because like you said, this isn't just meatpacking, right? I feel like as more and more businesses and schools and places of worship open up, this question is only going to become more relevant. Right. So the other side of that debate is most of the people that I talk to say that it's it's just not technically feasible on a really large scale to do that. Mm. For instance, I, I talked with a, a top public health official in the city of Nashville who dealt with an outbreak at the local Tyson plant there. And he says, no, I mean, today it's not feasible to test everybody at that plant every single day. But he does want them to do some kind of random testing on a regular basis so that he can catch it, you know, if there is a new wave of infection. And in fact, Tyson Foods, they say they are planning this thing that they call sentinel testing, some kind of random testing. Mm. I asked them, okay, so how many workers, how often? And they said, well, we're still working, working out the details. Okay. All right, Dan, thank you so much for all of your reporting on this. It is super important and, and really helpful. My pleasure, Maddie. You can check out today's episode page for links to more of Dan's reporting on the coronavirus and meatpacking plants, including an in-depth episode he's reported for NPR's investigative podcast, Embedded. Today's episode was produced by Britt Hansen, fact-checked by Burley McCoy, and edited by Viet Le. Thanks for listening to Shortwave from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. E-commerce logistics making you question why you started your business? Time to outsource fulfillment to the experts over at ShipBob. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. ShipBob. If you're looking for a new way to support this show and public media, please consider signing up for the NPR Plus podcast bundle. NPR Plus listeners get to unlock sponsor-free listening and bonus episodes from NPR shows like this one. You can find out more at plus.npr.org.